You did it. Now I have a snack in my mouth. Okay, I found this article that I found very interesting labeled Polish Institute says that cats are an alien invasive species. And I was intrigued to learn more. A respected Polish scientific institute has classified common house cats as an invasive alien species. The institute did this because of the damage cats cause to birds and other wildlife. This respected Polish scientific institute doesn't seem to actually be named in this article. <laughs> and then it goes on to say, some cat lovers have reacted emotionally to the decision. <laughs> Yeah, but what are you going to do? It's a respected Polish scientific center. Maybe that's the name of the Polish Scientific Institute. I mean, if I was going to name a scientific society, I would name it Respected right off yeah, the bat. Yeah, they're Respected so-and-so Journey to the Fringe Institute of Scientific Technology. Journey to the Fringe, owned by Respected Corporation. <laughs> yeah, cat people are having strong emotional reactions to this. And the strong reactions have put the main scientist behind the decision on the defensive. That's probably why they oh. didn't name it. And his name is Wojciech? Wojciech? Let's just move on. Solars is a biologist to the state-run Polish Academy of Sciences. Already good. Academy. Oh, that's what it's named. Polish Academy of Sciences, right? That's the oh, that's respected, yeah. Yeah. Sure. So the Academy's Institute of Nature Conservation runs a database of invasive alien species, and somehow cats made their way onto this list. It was surprised by the public reaction following the addition of Felice Catus in the database. That's what they go by? That's their long name? Yeah. Felice Catus? <laughs> okay, the database already had 1,786 other species listed with no objections, Solaris told the Associated Press on Tuesday. The public anger, he said, may have come from the media. Some media reports may have misinformed people that the Institute is calling for wild and domestic cats to be killed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Some would say they're going too far, others not far enough. <laughs> yeah. The public certainly jumped to wild accusations here. The criteria for including the cat among alien invasive species are 100% met by the cat, he said. What? Oh, hold on, I missed a part. So Lars described the growing scientific belief that domestic cats harm biodiversity, which they do, but that's on the chain of command, isn't it? Like everything has the circle of life. Well, yeah, but they're introducing something into the ecosystem. Like cats aren't naturally occurring in the domesticated cats aren't. Yeah. yeah. So this is because of the number of birds and mammals that cats hunt and kill. The criteria here we go. The criteria for including the cat among alien invasive species are a hundred percent met by the cat. Mm -hmm. That's it, right? Uh, yeah, we can add it there. I don't end it there. I don't really think there's much more to add. Cat people are enraged. This guy is like, yeah, they're an alien invasive species, and there we have it. And now with that, we can start the episode. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the inevitable place that the consequences of your past actions have led you. We are your inevitable hosts to this thing that you couldn't avoid due to the actions we've taken in the past, Chelsea and Taylor. Yes. Here today, this is going to be a two-part episode, at least, how we've had it planned. Not me personally, but between the two of us. About a fringe topic indeed, and that is remote viewing. 
going to be a little odd how we're breaking it up. But what's going to happen here is first off, we're going to tell you what the hell remote viewing is. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I am going to go over the history of remote viewing within the government of the United States. It seemed logical at the time we were breaking it up. It did. But now we'll describing it, it to you all, it seems strange. It does seem strange, doesn't it? But we're here now and we cannot yeah. avoid this. From there, Chelsea is then going to go over notable characters within the remote viewing community. Yes, I'll do that. You know, time permitting, we might also get a snack break in there. Oh, I'm already snacking. Some of us will have to wait until the snack break. After some of us will have already done it. It's quite a silent snack, though. It's Swedish fish. You're going wrong with your snack breaks. Another classic, but not as crunchy. You do like to hear it on a podcast, don't you? Now, before we get this episode started, what I would like you all to do, at least those of you who are not driving things. Oh, I like this. Those of you who can't afford to close your eyes, please don't close your eyes. The rest of you, please close your eyes. Just relax that mind. Go to a happy place. And I'm going to tell you something here. 48 degrees, 52.6 minutes south, 123 degrees, 23.6 minutes west. And I want you to tell me what you're picturing. What do those coordinates elicit inside you? I feel like it's a river with a tree. Okay. Now, we are experiencing right now, you can open your eyes back up. If not, you're you're more than welcome to keep experiencing this podcast in the eye-closed format. This podcast, in fact, we prefer it that way, as that is the intended viewership that we are going after with this podcast. It's a little late in the podcast series to bring that up. Yeah, sorry guys, (laughs) if you can go back now. Also snack the entire time. (laughs) Unless we say don't, then you should not be snacking. Definitely don't. We've never said that once. But what you just experienced there is just just a small taste of what is the life of a remote viewer. Hold on, do we get to know where those coordinates were? Was I right? No, you know what? I'm actually going to wait until the next episode to tell you where those coordinates are. Oh. So that hopefully we can get some responses from our viewers to let us know what they think. Please don't just Google it. Let us know what you think. I never would have thought of that, but now that you said it. I also don't know what minutes means in a coordinate. Okay. Okay. So what is remote viewing? Well, it's the practice of seeking impressions about a distant or unseen subject, purportedly sensing with the mind. Typically, a remote viewer is expected to give information about an object, event, person, or location that is hidden from physical view and separated at, at least by some distance from the viewer themselves. Some people say that this is really, there's no difference between astral projecting and remote viewing. In my mind, remote viewing is the result. Astral projecting can be one of the actions that you can take to actually remote view. However, it is not interchangeable in and of itself. And in fact, I will bring it up at the end, at least something that makes me think it's different. Another way to remote view that I have seen is retrocausal effects with time. And I will talk about that at the end as well. But remote viewing is simply viewing a place however you got there there are multiple ways but generally you are not physically going to that location (laughs) hence the remote part of it wouldn't that make it the astral projecting part of it though you're like no i don't know that confused me okay continue astral projecting is only one way of remote viewing there are multiple ways to see a location without being there an astral projection being like if someone else was astral projecting, they could see you there? Uh, that, that That's an entirely different thing to go over. That is an astral projection episode. And we're not ah, doing okay. an astral projection okay. episode. Okay. We're I, doing a remote I viewing episode. Okay. 
Okay. Let's go back. Remote viewing, it, it, it's a very niche, I almost want to say psychic affair that has always been obscure. Um, it's only been really looked at starting in the 1930s and, and really starting to get prominence throughout the world in the 1960s. So that is actually where our story starts. So the catalyst is really for at least U.S. interest in this topic. Learning that the USSR apparently had interest in it. Because, you know, if you ever wanted the U.S. to actually do anything, all you had to literally say was, well, the USSR is doing it. Yeah. They're, they're doing like all of it. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, in this case, that's what happened. There were rumors of a number of Soviet scientists studying various aspects of paranormal phenomena, including telekinesis, extrasensory perception, or ESP, parapsychology, and various other psychic phenomena. These scientists had worked with military and intelligence agencies in their country to explore methods for deployment of paranormal abilities for defense and intelligence collection purposes. Among the most intriguing stories included in what the U.S. was hearing about the USSR was an account of an experiment involving rabbits. Electrodes were inserted into the brain of a mother rabbit, and baby rabbits without implanted electrodes were placed on a submarine that was taken out to sea and submerged. A baby rabbit would then be killed, and as the scientists recorded, the brain of the mother many miles away on shore reacted at the moment of death. Setting aside all questions of animal cruelty, and experimental ethics, this was interpreted to show that ESP existed and served to connect minds. Now, there are many different rumored activities that the USSR was working on. This is one of the stories. Another one is that they had telekinetic individuals who were able to stop the heart of a frog. I found one literally in an unclassified document from the CIA database. Abstract, dear editors, I am a construction engineer, Raphaelian, and I'm writing you from the sunny state of Georgia. I lived in Tilisti and have now been listening for several years to various oral sources of stories about a certain Krivlatov, who mm. somehow is successfully healing patients by laying on of hands. I also heard that his self-educated magician was investigated by various specialists, in particular the inventors. Mr. and Mrs. Curlium, and that somehow the secret of his miracle working hands has been divine. Is this true or not? Couldn't tell you of this healer in greater detail. Like, I just love like this, this weird letter that somebody wrote to the CIA ended up top secret and got released in 2005. I love it. But like, this is the world that is inhabited in the late 60s, early 70s. All these strange stories coming out of the USSR and the US government has to take them serious. Oh, anything that had anything to do, even things that weren't to do with the USSR at that time were thought to be it could be. So it was very hush-hush about anything going on. Like I said, if you want to grant money for anything, all you had to say was like, well, the USSR is doing it. They're doing it hard. Like or millions. either that or it's to fight back against the USSR, so I'm going to need this yeah. grant money. You know not giving me this is just welcoming communism into this country, yeah. right? <laughs> and then, Simpler yeah, times. Ike Eisenhower foaming at the mouth just hands you as much money as he possibly can <laughs> while invading Guatemala. <laughs> yeah. The United States intelligence sources believe that the Soviet Union was spending upwards of 60 million rubles annually on psychotronic research. You know what? I didn't actually check. Let's check really quick how much that would be. Rubles. Sounds high tech. I would be interested to know what kind of research the Soviets were doing with this. It's probably intense. To be honest, I've never been able to find anything from them. Oh no, they're probably much better. Which is funny. 
yeah uh, keeping things secret than the u.s uh declassifying letters from construction workers oh okay one u.s dollar equals four old rubles so for that means they were spending rubles. i assume we're talking old rubles not new rubles if that's different <laughs> then what is I the timeline for old rubles <laughs> but we're talking about 15 million u.s dollars in Holy 1970s shit. monies annually so old means 19 on psychotronics <laughs> Well, no, no, we're talking about 1970 would be today, and they're spending old rubles on it. But I don't know what that means, per se, to the 1970s peoples. Okay. In response to claims that the Soviet program had produced results, the CIA initiated funding for a program known as SCANATE. Scan by coordinate is what that stands for. And in the same year, remote viewing research began in 1972 at what's known as the Stanford Research Institute. This place comes up a lot. It's shortened to SRI. It is not a government office. It is a university. It's Stanford. And this is where the original remote viewing research starts in the U.S. This is Menlo Park, California. And this research is being done by physicists Russell Targ and Harold Putoff. And they began testing psychics for SRI in 1972. There were two people that they started testing. Not off the bat, but the first person they start testing for psychic phenomena is a man by the name of Yuri Geller. He's an Israeli nationalist by birth, 23 years old in 1972, and he's a stage magician. Like, let's just get that out of the way. The guy's a stage magician. He's well known for bending spoons on stage, stopping watches, and then also every now and then making weird claims on stage that every now and then come true. The big rumored one that there's not a lot of substantive um, things to back it up is that he claimed that the uh, he felt terrible that day because he felt like the ruler of Egypt was either dead or about to die. And later that day, the ruler of Egypt dies. Oh my gosh, that's pretty accurate. But if you say enough bold claims every day, one of them's bound to come true. Exactly. He could have said that every day of his life. <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm just not feeling good. Egyptian ruler's <laughs> about to die. Well, and especially, I don't know who the Egyptian ruler was at the time. He could have been like a 90-year-old man, to be fair. Yeah. From here on out, I'm going to say I'm not feeling well today. The Queen of England's about to die. <laughs> yeah. Is either dead or about to die. I'm going to be right one day. Man, are you going to feel bad when you're right, though? <laughs> you're not, you don't want that kind of power. That's true. So Yuri Geller gets involved and they start doing some tests on this man to really show that he has some sort of psychic power. Russell, Targ, and Harold Putoff think that they're successful tests. And their apparent success results garnered interest within the U.S. government by a man with the U.S. Department of Defense, Ray Hyman. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Oregon. He was asked by the Air Force psychologist, Lieutenant Colonel Austin W. Kibler, then Director of Behavioral Research for ARPA, to go to SRI and investigate what they were doing and if there's any credence to it. He was told to specifically evaluate Yuri Geller and Hyman's report to the government was that Geller was a complete fraud, like complete and utter fraud. <laughs> and as a consequence, Targan put off, lost their government contract to work further with him. The result was a publicity tour for Geller, Targ and put off to seek private funding for further research work on Geller. They start their initial testing on this psychic. A government official comes and actually looks at the tests they're doing. They're like, these are absolute shit tests. <laughs> <laughs> Their response are, well, we're going to get different people to pay us now. 
Oh, man. When Geller's supposed abilities were tested by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency in 1973, the experiments concluded that Geller had demonstrated his paranormal perceptual ability in a convincing and unambiguous manner. On that funding tour, they went to the CIA. CIA was convinced. You know what? Yuri's got some sort of paranormal ability. I think we want to work with you guys. So a study was commissioned by the United States Defense Intelligence Agency as a Stargate project and conducted during August 1973 at Stanford Research Institute. Geller was isolated and asked to reproduce simple drawings prepared in another room, writing about the same study in 1974, an article published in the journal Nature. They concluded that he had performed successfully enough to warrant further serious studies. So basically what they would do, Yuri Geller would have to go into an isolated room, they would have a participant in the study go into another room, pick a word from the dictionary, and they would draw that picture. And then they would ask Yuri Geller to draw what he thinks they were drawing. There was at least enough consistency in what they were seeing that they said these were successful tests. Mm -hmm. He was drawing things that were similar to what the other person was seeing. So that he had some way of either communicating with people through rooms, or he was able to view that other room. Like and see what was going on in it. Party game to play, I think. Yeah. I'm gonna try it one day. This is the thing with a lot of these tests. I'm gonna put it up front, just so that you guys all know where I'm coming from. They're never done in a way that you can fully say when a test is successful. So, like, if you're asking somebody to draw just something, what would be the cutoff line for this is a successful test or this is an unsuccessful test? It, I would say if it was me. And it wasn't because this was in the past before I was born. I would say if it kind of looked like what you had drawn, kind of resembled it. Yeah, but the part I have a hard time with too, and they never talk about this. Yuri Geller is a stage magician, and I guarantee you he's a slippery talker. So I'm feeling he has a few tricks of either getting a rapport with people so that he either feels like he knows what they're going to be doing, like a cold reading of sorts, or two, convincing people that he has a successful answer when it's ambiguous. Yeah. But we'll never He's know the answer for sure. He's a smooth talker though, so he could have. Exactly. Everybody involved in this is a smooth talker. and Which you would have to be to be a psychic that has no actual psychic powers. Yeah, it's true. And then, spoiler alert, there's a lot of Scientologists. Uh, yes, I did know that. Yeah. Just to continue on with that, an encyclopedia of claims, frauds, and hoaxes of the occult and supernatural put off and Russell Targ, who studied Mr. Geller at the Stanford Research Institute, were aware in one instance at least that they were being shown a magician's trick by Geller. Their protocols for their serious investigation of the power claim by Geller were described by Ray Hyman, who investigated the project on behalf of the Department of Defense's Advanced Research Project Agency, as sloppy and inadequate. Critics have pointed out that both Putoff and Targ were already believers in paranormal powers, and Geller mm. was not adequately searched before experiments, and psychologist C.E.M. Hansel and skeptic Paul Kurtz have noted that experiments were poorly designed and open to trickery. So when we're talking about successful results, that was another thing. These are critiques. There are people involved in the studies themselves, though. So this program at this point is kind of based on Uri Geller's... It's just Yuri Geller at this powers. point. They've just gotten money to study his paranormal abilities. Okay. And this is coming from the CIA. And although several professional magicians have duplicated many of Mr. Geller's feats by using sleight of hand techniques, the SRI scientists said in a telephone interview that their current report was based on experiments in which trickery would seem to be unlikely. 
The scientists said that they had consulted professional magicians in designing their experiments to be as cheat-proof as possible. Mr. Geller was sealed in a room with metal walls capable of insulating it from external sights, sounds, and radio waves, the scientists said. Outside that room, the researchers opened a dictionary at random, looked down the list of entries for the first word that they could depict graphically, and then drew a picture corresponding to the word. Mr. Geller's task was to draw a similar picture, and the researchers said he was never told who would select the picture or how it would be done. In nine such experiments, Mr. Geller produced seven drawings or sets of drawings, all of Mr. Geller's responses, which were published in the Nature article alongside the researcher's drawings, showed some degree of corresponding to the target picture. Mo showed remarkable similarities. Hmm. And in the two instances in which Mr. Geller did not produce a drawing, he had been fitted with brain wave recording electrodes that he said interfered with his ability. And in a tenth experiment, the drawings were placed in a sealed room before Mr. Geller's arrival. Later, when asked to reproduce the drawing, he was unable to do so. In three additional experiments, images that could be displayed by computers were stored in the machine's memory, known only to the programmer, and Mr. Geller in the sealed room during the selection and programming of the image produced drawings that all bore some degree of similarity. From these experiments, among others, the scientists Russell Targ and Dr. Harold Putoff concluded that Mr. Geller did indeed possess telepathic ability. Publications of the report by the British scientific magazine Nature, one of the most respected international science journals, represents something of a first for parapsychology. Research in the field is almost always reported only in journals that circulate within the specialty. However, the editor of Nature, aware of the controversy that the article included in the October 18th issue might arouse, then published an editorial explaining why they had chosen to print the article despite the objections of some article's referees. According to the editorial consultant said that the report was weak in design and presentation and that details of precautions against conscious or unconscious fraud were uncomfortably vague. So there's there's controversies about the studies that are actually going on at this time. But nonetheless, the U.S. government sees these and they're happy with what's going on to the extent that by the time 1975 rolls around, Yuri Geller, who again is an Israeli nationalist, was invited to do a classified psychokinetic test at a lab in Livermore, California, where scientists were developing advanced nuclear warheads, laser systems and other emerging weapons technologies. So the fact that he's not American and in fact might be working for a government with conflicting views doesn't stop him at all from being invited to a nuclear testing facility. <laughs> they thought he had some well, things. Well, we learned about that back in our nuclear episode. Yeah. <laughs> He never came up in that episode, though. The CIA starts getting more people involved. A name that comes up about now, but I'm not going to talk about him yet, is a man by the name of Ingo Swan, who goes through many of the same testings as Yuri Geller. Right now, I do want to make a note. They're going to start recruiting many telekinetics and remote viewers for future testing and involvement in the government very shortly. However, many of the SRI empaths were from the Church of Scientology, including Ingo Swan, who was an OT level seven Scientologist. Individuals who appeared to show potential were trained and taught to use talents of psychic warfare, most of them by Ingo Swan. And the minimum accuracy that was needed by clients was said to be about 65% to continue on to actually become usable by the government. Proponents claim that in the later stages of the training effort, this accuracy level was often consistently exceeded seems low for a government program but it also seems like this is the first program of its kind so they wouldn't know how to test it or anything like that and there was crit crit 
what's the word I'm looking for? Criticizing? Criticism? Criticism of the way they were testing it, but they weren't seeing a better way because they didn't know. Well, yeah, it is hard to test. Am I right? That, that's yeah. the thing. And especially, I hear they need a minimum accuracy of 65%. I don't know what that means, but we will get into that in a bit. Mm -hmm. Around the mid to late 1970s, the CIA decides to shut down its ESP work. And the program moves from the CIA to the U.S. Army. And it moves to Fort Meade in Maryland, where it was funded by the Defense Intelligence Agency. At this point, it becomes known as Gondola Wish, and it was a 1977 Army Assistant Chief of Staff for Intelligence Systems Exploitation Detachment effort to evaluate potential adversary applications of remote viewing. And building on Gondola Wish, an operational collection project was formalized under Army Intelligence as Grill Flame in mid-1978 was located in buildings 2560 and 2561 at Fort Meade. Grill Flame consisted of soldiers and a few civilians who were believed to possess varying degrees of natural psychic ability. The SRI research program was integrated into Grill Flame in early 1979, and hundreds of remote viewing experiments were carried out at SRI through 1986. So there is a distinct split from what was going on beforehand to being moved into the government itself. Okay, and this is still the same program or a different one? It's still technically the same program. The names are changing and the part of the government's involved with is changing as well, but it's the same people involved in it. Okay. At this point, I found somebody who was involved with it provided an idea of what their typical day was as a remote viewer. On a typical workday, McMonagall said he reported to an old leaky wooden barracks at Fort Meade, where he went into a one-person office. He sat at a desk and a typewriter and a coffee of muck. The cup said this end up and had an arrow pointing the wrong way. He was then presented with sealed envelopes, sometimes large brown ones, sometimes small white ones, and he was asked to supply information about whatever was inside. There might be a photograph of a person. He would be asked to describe where the person was located. That's what they would do. They'd be handed an envelope and it would either have coordinates, a picture of someone, an idea of something, and they would be asked to describe it. There were some successes. One of the project's big successes was the location of a lost Soviet spy plane in 1976 by Rosemary Smith, a young administrative assistant recruited by project director Dale Graff. Quick question. Are they just being like, hey, secretary sitting right there, you don't look busy. Do you want to come try your hand at remote viewing? See, I don't think that's how it worked. I feel like Ingo Swan had trained her, but okay. that it is weird that they described her as an assistant. <laughs> yeah. But maybe it's just the fact that she was a woman. Maybe she couldn't be a remote true, viewer for true. the 70s. True, true. That could be very true. Yeah, any any lady was an automatically an assistant. Yeah. Now, in 1981, the project was expanded to be a joint project between the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Army. And it was a planned three-year joint program between the DIA and Army to investigate in detail certain paranormal phenomena, such as remote viewing, psychokinesis, that have potential military applications. Emphasis has been on evaluating applications application potential and limitations of remote viewing phenomena and to evaluate the significance of foreign work, particularly as it may pose a threat to the U.S. In 1981, the U.S. Army spent 130000 which moved to 140000 in 1982, and then the DIA provided 300000 in 1981 to be 335000 in 1982. So it's not a lot of money, but it's being spent, and they are spending man hours on it at least as well. They said the DIA was using one and a half man years in power on this project, and the army was using about a quarter of a man year. So imagine you have all these- What is a man year? It's basically how many hours a person works in a year. 
that's how many hours you're committing to it. So if it's more than a person would work in a year, that means you're expanding one point, whatever it would be. Okay. And that all came right from CIA documents that were released. Like it's on the CIA website. It's crazy. Yeah. Now in 1983, the program was redesigned, redesignated the INSCOM Center Lane Project. And Ingo Swan and Harold Putoff at SRI developed a set of instructions which theoretically allowed anyone to be trained to produce accurate, detailed target data. And they used this new collection methodology against a wide range of operational training targets. The existence of this highly classified program finally became public knowledge in 1984 when it was reported by columnist Jack Anderson. Up until now, it's been just a secret thing going on in the background, and now it's starting to leak out. And like, these are the real conspiracies back in the day that were very real. In late yeah. 1985, the army funding was terminated, but the program was redesignated to Sunstreak and funded by the DIA Scientific and Technical Intelligence Directorate. Sunstreak is what it's called now? Yeah. Okay. It changes names so freaking often. Really? In 1991, most of the contracting for the program was transferred from SRI to the Science Applications Internal Corporation, SAIC, which is still traded on the market today. Hmm. With Edmund May controlling 70% of the contractor funds and 85% of the data, its security was altered from special access program to limited dissemination and was given its final name, Project Stargate. In 1991? Yeah, that's okay. when it was finally called Stargate. Okay, wow, that's not recent, but recent in my mind. Yeah, for how long it was going on, that's 20 years yeah. in. Yeah. In the early 1990s, the Military Intelligence Board, chaired by Defense Intelligence Agency Chief Harry E. Soyster, appointed Army Colonel William Johnson to manage the remote viewing unit and evaluate its objective usefulness and funding dissipated in late 1994 and the program went into decline with the project being transferred out of dia to cia in 1995. in 1995 the defense appropriations bill directed that the program be transferred from dia to cia oversight and the cia commissioned a report by the american institute of research now there was a positive assessment by statistician jessica utz that a statistically significant effect had been demonstrated in laboratories by the government psychics, but this was offset by a negative review by one psychologist, Ray Hyman, who's the original guy that said, your research is bunk at SRI. Mm. Okay, I remember him. Because Ray Hyman gave this negative review, the CIA canceled and declassified the program. Over the entirety of the course of this remote viewing program, the US government spent some $20 million on Stargate and Stargate-related activities. With 11 million budgeted from the mid-1980s to the early 1990s, and over 40 personnel serving in the program at various times, including about 23 remote viewers at its peak during the mid-1980s, the program included as many as seven full-time viewers and as many analytical support personnel. Three psychics reportedly worked at Fort Meade for the CIA from 1990 through to July 1995, and the psychics were made available to other government agencies when requested when their services were requested 20 million dollars and 40 employees that's not a lot though to the american government it's really it? not at the end of the day okay. when the entire military budget of the u.s is like i think it's 800 billion dollars a year right now 
And then there's like so many trillions of dollars that just isn't like accounted for at all. I oh, mean, black funds. Think, well, that, yeah. that's another thing that we're not going to get into right now. It just for instance, but this is just $40 million. Now, like that's I said, thing. other intelligence organizations have requested the help of this fringe intelligence group. It included the National Security Agency and the NSA in September of 1979. They requested remote viewers helps with regards to Soviet submarine construction projects. It should also be noted that Joseph McGonagall, that guy who gave us the day in the life of the remote viewer, one of the chief remote viewers, later said that all readings by remote viewers were intended merely to augment, not supplant, intelligence gained by more conventional means. Additionally, the NSA, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Drug Enforcement Administration, Secret Service, Customs Bureau, and the Coast Guard requested readings from Stargate remote viewers, and so too did the CIA by the mid-1990s, before the funding was cut off. Yeah. Like, it, it's just perhaps. crazy that, yeah, a lot of people believe this is bunk science, but many others do not. Yeah, it's true, including the people running the program. And at the same time, like, people that are involved in it are saying, like, we didn't do this in on our own. Like, there would always be further information. So I don't really know, like, how useful it was, the information they'd be giving. Because even with just a 65% accuracy, that's not that much higher than a coin toss. So how much can you actually yeah. rely on what the psychics no, are No, it is. You? And the other thing about it is some of them are predicting things way into the future. Like, what are they doing with this information? Are they just, like, tracking it and then being like, has this happened? Or, like, is this going to happen yet? And then something happens, they're like, that's a hit. That's for sure a hit. Yeah. And if they have that, then how many are not hits? Exactly, yeah. I mean, one hit is impressive, though, if they're that well, far it is. on. But even then, what is a hit? True. They really seem to focus on weird things about the locations. Like they'd be asked to describe a location. They'd say, oh yeah, it's in a ring road with a flag pole right in the middle of it. And we're like, oh yeah, that flag pole was dead on where it was. Yeah. Or they were dead right. There was a filing cabinet where they said it was. But well, like, yeah, that's successful. But like, I assume when they're giving coordinates, they have something in mind for what they're looking for. And how are they remote viewing the exact location? Oh, maybe they're given a person for like the the hostage situation. Yeah, exactly. Okay, right. Maybe that's how they're knowing where they're describing though. If they're giving the coordinates and they know exactly like what they're looking for, and they're like, okay, there is a flagpole there. But what if they get the flagpole and then like the rest is off would they still call that a hit yeah exactly Probably. and really the things that i've seen they provide they only really seem to give you insight after everything has occurred yes so it's not gonna prevent anything like i saw one of these guys helped in a kidnapping and they said the word lobo keeps coming up in my mind did they help kidnap someone they did not help kidnap someone in fact they oh, found the good. guy who did it. they didn't actually help oh, thank the God. Guy who did it. okay it was about to become about bad guys one of the guys was named wolf like his last name was wolf which in spanish is lobo so they keep like saying like oh he was right because he said the name lobo keeps coming up but it was wolf how was that helpful? Was the guy Spanish? It's not helpful at all, but it's a program that they had a target in mind for what they wanted to do with the program, but it wasn't helping them achieve that target. <laughs> and then like 99 times out of 100, you need to look at like satellite documents to confirm what these guys are saying. So like, why do you even need them to say anything if you can just get the satellite to tell you that thing? True, because they are probably hoping it could provide more intel than what I they guess. can find with the satellite. 
isolate. And they're still doing the studies, that makes sense. But just to finish this off, in 1995, as a result of the executive order of one President William J. Clinton, better known as Bill Clinton, I don't know why they described him as William say, J. Clinton. That name sounds so familiar. He declassified all the materials pertaining to the SRI program, as well as everything up to Stargate. And because of that, there are over 13 million documents on the CIA website that have been declassified that you're allowed to brute through to see what's going on with this. Okay. These are kind of the big ones everybody points to when they're saying the remote viewing was successful in what it did. These are our success. So number one, Joe McGonagall claims that to have left Stargate in 1984 with a legion of merit awards for providing information on 150 targets that were unavailable from other sources. In 1974, one remote viewer appeared to have correctly described an airfield with a large gantry and crane at one end of the field. The airfield at the given map coordinates was the Soviet nuclear testing area at Semipelentinsk. Semipelentinsk. Yep, I'm familiar with that place. A possible underground nuclear testing site. In general, however, most of the receiver's data was incorrect or could not be evaluated. A remote viewer was tasked to locate a Soviet Tu-95 bomber, which had crashed somewhere in Africa, which he allegedly did within several miles of the actual wreckage. Okay, but that still doesn't count as a hit, does it? Your mileage may vary, yes. <laughs> Another assignment included trying to hunt down Gaddafi before the 1986 bombing of Libya, but Gaddafi was not injured in the bombing. In February of 1988, DIA asked where Marine Corps Colonel William Higgins was being held in Lebanon, and a remote viewer stated that Higgins was in a specific building in a specific South Lebanon village, and a released hostage later said to have claimed that Higgins had probably been in that building at that time. In January of 1989, DOD, Department of Defense, was said to have asked about Libyan chemical weapons work. A remote viewer reported that ships named after either Padua or Podua would sail from Tripoli to transport chemicals to an eastern Libyan port, and reportedly a ship named Badado loaded an undetermined cargo in Tripoli and brought to an eastern Libyan port. Reportedly, a remote viewer saw that a KGB colonel caught spying in South Africa had been smuggling information using a pocket calculator containing a communication device. It said that questioning along these lines by South African intelligence led to the spy cooperating and telling them that that was true. During the Gulf War, remote viewers were reported to have suggested the whereabouts of Iraq Saddam Hussein. Though there was never an independent verification of the findings, a unit was tasked to find plutonium in North Korea in 1994 and apparently without any notable success. And remote viewers were also said to have helped find Scud missiles and secret biological and chemical warfare projects and to have located and identified the purposes of tunnels and extensive underground facilities. Also, a big one, it's not in this group, but they were asked to help with the Iran hostage situation that happened in the 1970s. Apparently, they had some success with it, but I feel like Chelsea's going to go over that in her episode, but she might not. I do, yeah. Okay, good. I do. Now, I know what you're thinking, and this is something I had to ask. Is this still going on? Yes, it all closed down technically through the government in 1995, but... They specifically talked about Science Application International Corp, which you can still buy shares in today. They're $93 a share. It still yeah. exists. In fact, they're still doing things like this for the government. In 2014, the Office of Naval Research launched a four-year program costing about $3.85 million to explore the use of premonition or intuition, which is popularly known as Sixth Sense, or even a Spidey Sense, in honor of the web-throwing superhero among oh, yeah. sailors and marines. And Dr. Edwin May, who was involved 
fully in Project Stargate, the former Stargate research head, had continued to argue on behalf of ESP as a legitimate tool for military and domestic intelligence long after the program was shut down. So they're at least still doing some quasi-paranormal research, and but who knows not... what else they're doing, because they're a private corporation, so we'll never... Part of the government, right? Exactly, and that means that we'll never be able to FOIA them or know for sure uh, what this right. is doing. Why not invest, though? So that's the history of remote viewing in the U.S. government. Like I said, you can find so much of this on the CIA website because it has all been publicly disclosed. To finish this off, I thought I would pick the strangest of the documents that is on this group to read through with you. Nice. The title of this document, Mars Exploration, May 22nd, 1984. Perfect. I like it already. Method of site acquisitions. Sealed envelopes coupled with geographic coordinates. The sealed envelope was given to the subject immediately prior to the interview. The envelope was not opened until after the interview. In the envelope was a 3x5 card with the following information. The planet Mars. The time of interest approximately 1 million years BC. Selected geographic coordinates provided by the parties requesting the information were verbally given to the subject during the interview. And this is getting into the interview. All right now, using the information in the envelope I've provided, exclusively focusing your attention now, using the information in the envelope, focus on 40.89 degrees north, 9.55 degrees west. Subject, I want to say it looks like a, I don't know, sort of looks, I kind of got an oblique view of a pyramid or pyramid form. It's very high. It's kind of sitting in a large depressed area. Monitor, all right. Subject, it's yellowish uh, or okra colored. Monitor, all right, move in time to the time indicated in the envelope I've provided you and describe what's happening. Subject, I'm tracking severe, severe clouds, more like dust, storm, uh, it's a geological problem. Seems to be like uh, just a minute. I've got to iron this out. It's really weird. Monitor, just report your raw perception at this time. You're still early in the session. Subject, I'm looking at an after effect of a major geological problem monitor okay go back in time before the geological problem subject um total difference it's uh before there's no um i don't know oh hell it's like mountains of dirt appear and then disappear when you go before see large flat surfaces very smooth angles walls they're really large though i mean they're megalithic monitor all right at this period in time now before the geologic activity look around in and around this area and see if you can find any activity Subject, I'm seeing, it's like a perception of a shadow of people. Very tall, thin. It's only a shadow. It's as if we're there and they're not. Not there anymore. Monitor, go back to a period of time where they are there. Subject, it's like, I, I get a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time. Very fragmentary pieces. Monitor, just report the raw data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. Subject. I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall, but they're very large, wearing some kind of strange clothes. That's probably a good spot to stop. Is that not like so bizarre? Like these weird things. And then they ask this guy, they ask him a few weird places. Like they ask him to look into yeah. uh, Atlantis. And then this Mars one, I find so bizarre. Like Can he saw people on Mars a million BC. Observations. Yeah. The coordinates they're giving, like, I know you're reading it, but it seems like they're giving... They're, are they looking for something? It almost seems like they're looking for something. Like, at one point he says, yeah, that's correct. Let's move here. Yeah. And they're moving to very specific 
coordinates. It's almost Yeah, it's like... really weird. And like I do know for a fact the first coordinates they picked are Sidonia on Mars, which is where like the face is and there's a few different yeah. objects that always pique conspiracy minded people's yeah. interests. Huh. I'm glad you knew that. And that's specifically where they saw those tall creatures. That's very bizarre. To be fair, Ed Dames is in charge of Project Stargate oh. while this is all going on. And he's a crazy man. To the extent where he was going to write a tell-all novel about mm. Project Stargate in 1992. Prior to it all being declassified. <laughs> like him and a psychic by the name of Morehouse had gone in together to write a book on everything highly classified they were doing. Like very illegal beforehand. Like this guy is yeah. weird. They probably had like non-disclosure agreements. And yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because Ingo Swan doesn't come up a lot in this, but a book I was reading on retrocausation that I found very interesting is Ingo Swan is actually a proponent that he wouldn't use astral projection to get information on the locations he was getting. In fact, he believed he could actually only remote view when he would later on in life be given further information about the sites that he was looking at. So he believed that he had retro causation. Basically, he would be stealing memories from the future of what he was seeing, which I find very interesting. That is interesting because technically there is times a construct. Yeah. So technically it would be a true thing that you could do. Yeah. Huh. I would say that time's a flat circle, but a circle is already flat. People keep saying that. I hear that a lot, but it's an incorrect statement. You could say time is a flat sphere. It is not a flat circle. It's two-dimensional, they mean. Yeah, all you need to say is time is a circle, <laughs> not, not a yeah. flat circle. It's already <laughs> implied. But that's where I'm going to lead off my story today. That is the history of remote viewing within the U.S. government itself. Is it still ongoing? Hell, it might not. It might be, but it is in the private sector now. And privatized, yeah. As far as remote viewing goes, like... I believe in it. I think it's definitely something. I think there's something there that in the program as it was designed for, I don't know. They definitely didn't get what they were looking for just because what we were talking about through the episode where they were predicting things that didn't come true until later and then at what point do you use that intel or do you know what intel to use to go where to prevent things like... Yeah. Like 65%, how is that going to help you? And then even, yeah. what are they right about? Because they'd yeah. be asked to describe a location. Are they right about where the road is? Are they right about where the documents are that you want? Like, what are they actually right about? And like for the hostages, which we'll talk again in the next episode, it all comes to like, and they're like, ah, I predicted that. And like, yeah, so what? You didn't prevent anything. You didn't save anybody. Everybody could have died. And like, and then what? You couldn't have prevented anything. You didn't save anybody. It obviously didn't get to the point where it was actually getting any intel or anything that we know of so there's definitely something there even if there is something there it's not useful no it's not useful. and i think at, at the end of the day that's the most important thing that we've drawn from these stories is even if their psychic abilities are correct they can't use it for anything yeah and then you get to the fact which is just a technicality of psychics where they say you can take different timelines and stuff like that in which case it might not even have the same outcome it's just like psychics so like you are gonna do this in the future and either it happens or it doesn't happen and like at what point you're like ah they predicted it like who like what impact did that actually have on your life like nothing because you got there eventually but hey let's not spoil it all here 
we're because yeah. we're gonna do another episode on this entire subject. Yeah. So maybe there's more to this entire thing, hey? Huh? Perhaps. Huh? Perhaps. I guess we will see on the next episode to find out. And hey, you still need to wait and see what those coordinates were I gave you. So oh, I'm excited to see. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh